0: Copy of your scriptures today. Please turn with me to Paul's letter to the Philippians again. We're going to be in Philippians chapter one, and we're going to begin in verse twelve. Philippians chapter one and verse twelve. And today we're going to look at the next passage in our study of Philippians. If you're here last week, you might remember that we began a series in which we'll be going through the whole book of Philippians, section by section. And last week we covered some introductory material. We talked about the book as a whole, and and in particular, we looked at the difference that the gospel makes in the lives of God's people. Now today, what we're going to look at really builds on that. And, and in our text today, Paul's going to talk about rejoicing in Christ's proclamation. In other words, no matter what he's going through, he is going to rejoice in the spread of the gospel. And the main point that I want you to get out of the text is this. Christ and, and the gospel of Christ defined Paul's life. It oriented his, his way of life. It oriented his way of thinking. It defined his views, and his whole life was about Jesus And the gospel. Now, I believe the challenge of the text is this. Is Christ and the gospel that important to you and me? Is Christ and the gospel that important to you and me? So, I know you just got to sit down, but if you would please stand and honor God's words. We begin reading Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former pro- proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Now, we're going to stop there in our look at at the text, but I'll go ahead and finish the verse. Yes, and I will rejoice. They had an unfortunate uh, uh, breakage in the verses there. You may be seated. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the first thing that I want you to see in our text today is that, is that Christ's proclamation is more important than circumstances. It's more important than circumstances. Look again at verse 12. The Philippians were very concerned about Paul, and, and Paul knew this because uh, he was in prison. They were concerned about his state of mind, his, his spiritual well-being. And understand, at this point, Paul had not just gone into incarceration. This was not a new thing. At this point, Paul had been under house arrest for about two years so you think about the last two years of your life. Mother's Day, 2016. What all has happened since then? And we can't even remember 2016. Uh, hardly. And, and just think, for that amount of time, Paul has been confined to his home. And so these Philippians were concerned about him and his state of mind. And, and so Paul wrote to allay their, their concerns. And notice, when he writes this, he doesn't sing the blues. Now, if it were you and me that was writing, what would we do? We'd be saying, oh... I guess I'm getting along. I mean, even though we're having a good day or a good week when we talk to each other at church, where well, we say, hey, how's it going? Well, I'm making it, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of, ugh. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't even say, hey, guys, would you pray that I'm released? I've been, I've been stuck in this house. I mean, we start going stir crazy when we're stuck in the house in the wintertime, right? And, and we're stuck in the house for, for a couple of days or maybe a week. Paul's done this for, for, for two years, but he doesn't pray. ask them to pray that he gets released soon. Instead, if you'll notice what he says in verse 12, Paul recognizes that through this difficult circumstance, the gospel is being spread, and that makes him very happy. Now, the question that naturally comes up is whether or not God wanted Paul to be under house arrest. Now, from the outside looking in, we might say, Oh, well, I'm not so sure, because why would God want that? Because here's Paul, a powerful preacher. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And being under house arrest has taken him off the, off the street. It's taken him out of the public square. It's taken him out of the marketplace where he could have a, a very big impact. And so sometimes we might be tempted to look at this and say, well, the circumstance uh, wasn't what God wanted. Maybe he's just trying to pick up the pieces, put a good spin on it. Is that what's What's happening? Well, the answer to that is obviously no. God is in control of all things, and that means this circumstance as well. Look at verse 16. I want you to see a, a biblical reason for this. Verse 16 says, the latter, speaking of these people um, who, who are preaching the gospel for the right reasons, the latter do it out of love, knowing that, here's, here's the key, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, that word translated as appointed, your Bible may, may use the word set, set. It has the idea of something being laid or set somewhere. Does anybody like to do puzzles? I went through a phase where I like to put puzzles together, and now there's no way I would even try it with all the little fingers in my house. Ain't no way. But it, if you like doing puzzles, even if you don't like them, you've done two puzzles. What do you do with that one piece? You, you take that piece and you, you put it in a certain place for a certain reason, right? You put it there to complete the puzzle, to, to make the picture whole. That's the idea of, of this word behind uh, this, this word translated as set or appointed. God is in control of Paul's circumstance and he has set him, he has placed him like we put a, a piece of a puzzle in a certain place for a reason. God has put Paul in that place for a reason. It, it wasn't that Paul just ended up in prison and, or, or under house arrest and God says, oh, didn't see that coming. Let's see if I can fix all these things to make it work out. No, God had put him there for a reason. And what's the reason? Verse 12, for the progress of the gospel. You say, okay, pastor, if Paul's not on the street where he could be making a big impact, how is the gospel being furthered? We'll look again at what he says in, in verses 12 and following. He says <clears throat> in verse 13, The cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, in ancient Rome, there were two groups known as the Praetorian Guard. One of them was a camp of soldiers outside the city, and it was a big camp. I mean, thousands and thousands, many thousands of soldiers out in this camp. The other Praetorian Guard was connected to, it was associated with the palace, with the emperor, and it was inside the city. They were the elite soldiers. They were the bodyguard of the emperor, and there were thousands of them as well. And it it seems, because Paul talks about later in in chapter 4, those of the household of the emperor greet you, it seems that the praetorian guard that's associated with the palace these bodyguards are the ones that Paul's talking about now understand this, this uh, the, the emperor at the time is Nero, we've all heard about Nero right? You remember he's the one that, that would persecute Christians, feed them to, to wild animals for, for sport and things like that and so what is, what is happening is Paul is in prison Part of his confinement means that a soldier was chained to him every minute of the day. Now, the custom at the time was every four hours, a new soldier would be chained to that, to that soldier. They, they would switch out. So every four hours, Paul was getting somebody else to witness to. And so for two years, this Praetorian Guard, these soldiers were coming. They were chained to Paul. They couldn't get away from him. You know, when somebody shows up at the door, knocking on the door, what do we do? Oh, don't, don't answer the door. You know, we'll, we'll crawl around make sure nobody sees us at home. We, we, just don't, we just don't want to have contact, and we can avoid it sometimes. We, somebody calls us on the phone. Oh, I don't want to talk to them. I don't answer it. Somebody emails us. Eh, I don't want to answer that right now. We just wait. You're chained to Paul. You ain't got no option but to listen to Paul. And so these soldiers for year after year, day after day, week after week, were hearing Paul talk to people that would come to him because he could, he could have people come to him. He just couldn't go out. And so, as people would come to him, they didn't have any choice but to sit there and listen to him preach. They didn't have any choice but to sit there when it was when it was quiet. And Paul said, "Hey, you hear about Jesus?" And so, so every four hours, Paul was getting a fresh batch. And eventually, some of those some of those soldiers they saw his manner of life, they heard his testimony, they heard him preach day after day after day. Some of those soldiers got saved. And they began to spread the gospel within their camp. You Remember when you first got saved? You couldn't, couldn't wait tell everybody, right? That's what's happening to them. And so these, these soldiers were telling people about Jesus. And then I'm guessing, and this is just my, I'll call it my sanctified imagination, the military doesn't like to keep people in one spot. And so I'm sure that this Praetorian Guard was getting changed out, probably with some of the Praetorian Guard that was outside the city and new soldiers were coming in, and the ones that were going out were telling people there about Jesus. And so here are all these people, the Praetorian guard, who never would have heard about Jesus otherwise, are hearing about it from Paul himself. And not only that, this is the Praetorian guard that's taking care of Nero. And so these Christians are going and taking care of the man who's later going to kill Paul. He was the one that put Paul to death. And so they're, they're going into the household of the Emperor, and they begin to talk to people, and in chapter four, Paul references people in Nero's household who had gotten saved. So here are all these people that are hearing the gospel, they're hearing about Jesus because of Paul's imprisonment. But not only that, I want you to look um, look at verse fourteen again. He says that many of the brethren's faith increased, so they had more courage to boldly proclaim the gospel. Now, we don't know why they were timid before, but when they saw Paul and the way he handled his adversity, it strengthened their faith. It encouraged them. It prompted them to be more bold. And I think this is a a good reminder for us. I just want to pause here to, to, to have us think. We need to be mindful of how we handle our adversities. We need to be mindful of how we handle our adversity because sometimes we might feel like we're going through things alone, and, and maybe we are, but oftentimes people are watching us. They watch the way that we act. They watch the way that we react in trying times. And our response may be a cause of encouragement to somebody else. So Paul says that Christ's proclamation is more, impor- more important than circumstances, but he also goes on to say that there more, it's more important than the proclaimers' motives. The proclaimers' motives. Now, some of these brethren, some of these Christians were emboldened to preach the gospel out of pure motives. They saw what Paul was going through and, and they wanted to see others coming to the kingdom. But you'll notice he says that some were preaching for the wrong reasons. Not all preachers have the same reasons for preaching. Now, we're very far removed in time from the situation, so we can't say for certain what these what these people who are, who are preaching for the wrong reasons, we don't know exactly what they were saying or doing. But if you'll notice verses 15 and 17, we can see some of their motives. He says they were doing, uh, doing it from envy, from strife, from selfish ambition, and seeking to cause him distress in his imprisonment. It seems probable to me that these men, at least some of them, were trying to make their name great instead of trying to make Christ's name great. They were going out, and they were trying to get others to talk about them. They are trying to gain notoriety. They thought, if I get a large ministry, it's going to upset Paul because people are going to be thinking about me. People are going to be looking at me. People are going to be talking about me and not him. And I'm sure that in the course of this, there were probably some subtle innuendos. There were probably some, some you know, suggestions that maybe Paul was in prison because he deserved it, not because of the cause of Christ. Uh, they probably uh, insinuated this or that. Their doctrine was right, but, but they weren't seeking to see souls saved. And what was Paul's response? They're trying to get him all upset. And what does Paul say? I'm good with that. Now that's my paraphrase. He's not alarmed by it at all. He says in verse 18, I'm just glad that there, people are hearing about Jesus. Now notice he doesn't excuse their motives. But he just knew that the message of the gospel was powerful and it would save people regardless of the motives of the person who was delivering the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on our motives. It doesn't depend on our our skill or our our human wisdom. And sometimes we as as Christians, we say, well, I don't want to talk to people because I I just can't talk very well. I just don't have the answers. I'm just going to mess it up. Listen, it ain't you that's saving them. It's not you that's drawing them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And when they hear the gospel, God can use that to save people. And Paul says, you know what? I don't like their motives. I don't like why they're doing it, but I'm just glad that they're doing it and people are hearing about Christ. And he says, I'll rejoice in that. And the question that we begin with still remains. Do Christ and his gospel and his glory ever cross our minds? Think about that. Do you ever consider those things when you're making decisions? Do you ever consider those things in a time of difficulty? Those are things that God's concerned about, but many times we are not. We're concerned with our comfort. We're concerned with somebody else's notoriety. We're concerned about the size of somebody else's church and why, how they're doing certain things. And, yeah, they're, they're preaching the gospel, but I don't like the way they're doing it because they should do it this way and that way. And, and, and they're not, there's not walking with us. And so we get all concerned about it, get all bent out of shape about it. And Paul says, hey, they're not, they're not preaching the wrong thing. They're just preaching it for the wrong reason. At least people are hearing about Jesus. Many times when we're going through a, a tough time, we don't, uh, we don't consider the way that we handle things. We don't consider that it might be a help to somebody who's struggling in their faith. We just don't think about it. And so the challenge that this text brings to us is... To be conscious of those things. Be intentional about thinking about the gospel. Rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. And again, what's the gospel. The gospel is that each of us is a rebellious, wicked sinner standing under condemnation from God. We all fall short of God's glory, but God showed his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took the sins of his people on the cross and the Father poured out his wrath against that sin on Jesus. He was our substitution. He he bore our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took that punishment. Not only that, but our our sins were given to him, but but his righteousness, when we put our faith in him, and him alone, his righteousness is credited to us. It's counted as ours. And so we make an exchange. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And so then in God's courtroom, we are not only declared not guilty, we are declared righteous. And the gospel is if you'll cast yourself on God's mercy, you will find him to be a perfect Savior. He will save you from your sins. If you've never done it, do that today. I not you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as you to bow your heads and close your eyes. With nobody looking around. I just want you to consider your own life. Do you ever think about those those gospel matters? Do you ever think about how you respond whenever you go through a difficult time? Do you ever think about how maybe... God is using that circumstance to further the gospel in some way. If these people that heard the gospel, the Praetorian Guard people in in Nero's household, heard the gospel, they never would have heard it otherwise. But God had put Paul right where he wanted him. On the outside looking in, it didn't make any sense, but it was in God's plan. Maybe you're. Maybe you're like the, the apostles, came to Jesus. And they were all upset because they saw some people doing some works, but they weren't, they weren't going along with the disciples. They wanted Jesus to nuke them. Jesus said, "If, if they're not against me, they're for me." Now You got to. A friend at another church, and that church has different style. Still preaching the gospel, different style, and you just, you just get all bent out of shape about it. Paul says, "People are hearing about Jesus. You can rejoice that they're here, and you rejoice more if things were done with the right motives. But at least they're here." Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we ask that you would help each of us to be more uh, sensitive to those, those issues of the gospel and your purposes and your glory and help us to see those things as being important, not just something that we do on a Sunday when it's convenient, not just something that we do one day a week, but uh, something that we take part in seven days a week. At all times of our lives, not just at church, but in the workplace, in our families, in all places. Lord, I ask that you'd help each of us to to value Christ, to set him apart in our hearts as Lord. If there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ, I ask that you'd draw them today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.